Good morning. This is KMZ Community Radio's Polk County Report. We're broadcasting on 100.7 and 88.5 FM. You can also hear us online with free apps such as Simple Radio and TuneIn, or you can tell Alexa or Google Home to play KMZ. I'm Michael Rose. Our guest today is State Representative Paul Evans, a Monmouth Democrat. Paul represents House District 20. The district encompasses West and South Salem, Monmouth and Independence. Paul is chair of the House Committee on Veterans and Emergency Management. He's also a member of committees uh, dealing with economic development, business, labor, transportation, and a special committee on wildfire recovery. Thanks for talking with KMZ, Paul. Let's uh, get started. Thank you for having me on the show. So uh, what's your highest priority for the legislative session? Well, I actually have uh, one that is philosophical and one that is more practical. Okay, let's hear them both. Uh, All right. The philosophical one, quite frankly, is to keep faith with the expectations of the public. And I say that because I think we are navigating a time of great uncertainty, and I believe that it's our job to do what we can to restore the public trust. Having said that, my two pieces of legislation that are my highest priority One is House Bill 2927, which is a reform of our emergency management structures and system. It's three sessions in the making, and I believe it's very important in terms of saving our our people and our place. And I also have House Bill 2299, which would require civics proficiency prior to graduation from high school. Okay. Uh, Do you have any plans to introduce legislation that's primarily aimed at addressing issues in rural Polk County? Well, most of my legislation that I introduce actually is uh, statewide or regional in uh, design. Uh, There are some uh, bills in the Veterans Committee that I think are more focused on uh, rural areas. We are trying to move uh, into a situation where we have a sustainable veterans uh, regional transportation grant for folks who live in rural areas. Uh, We have some economic development proposals that were uh, really put together during the e-board in this last year that we're going to try to move forward that are targeting small businesses and uh, those that are uh, really impacted by the ongoing COVID measurements. Uh, Most of my bills, however, uh, generally are focused on specific challenges and, uh, again, have a a statewide effect. Okay. You you touched on this a little bit about the public's confidence being shaken. You know, Oregon has a, a number of problems that need attention right away. We have to implement the COVID-19 vaccination program. We have high unemployment. We have businesses closing because of the pandemic. Uh, we have communities attempting to recover and rebuild after last year's unprecedented wildfires. There are, there are many more examples like this. Do you think the urgency of these problems will uh, reduce some of the partnership partisanship that we've seen in the legislature in the past, you know, such as the uh, time when the Republicans walked out? Well, I hope so. I uh, honestly don't know that that these issues make it any easier to govern uh, because of the the, really the stakes involved. On the other hand, uh, I do hope that the fact that real people are experiencing real loss and real challenge will motivate folks who maybe otherwise might be more interested in prolonging prolonging conflict for political gain to actually get around a compromise. This this actually gets back to the, the, the question you asked a minute ago about my rural priorities. Right now, as a member of the Wildfire Recovery Council, most of the issues we're dealing with actually affect folks in the rural areas. Um, 
even though the, the, the lens is statewide. Uh, so, you know, I, I am hopeful uh, and optimistic that enough people will recognize it's in everybody's interest to work together, though I am mindful that sometimes in our current political environment, a Pyrrhic victory uh, is more important to some in the base, and I would say that on both sides of the political divide, than actual concrete uh, progress. And that's unfortunate. So what do you think will be the greatest challenges uh, for the legislature to overcome? I think structurally the the greatest challenge will be to ensure that we actually uh, are here in enough in enough numbers to be able to meet our constitutional requirements. Uh, I know that uh, walkouts have been a uh, maneuver in the past. We are certainly uh, charged this year with some unusual work that, that I hope is not interrupted by walkouts. That has to do with redistricting as well as trying to continue and manage the COVID disaster that's both economic and health in nature. Um, that said, I also don't know what the future holds in terms of just the, the nature and course of the contagion itself. Uh, I don't believe that the variants that we've seen recently are going to significantly impact the mortality rate. On the other hand, we are, uh, you know, struggling to, to, to differentiate between what we know and what we think. And I hope that none of those things get in the way of the legislature being able to ensure that we have enough people in the building at any given time to pass legislation, to make sure the budgets get accomplished, to make sure good policies get implemented so that we can continue, hopefully, to recover and take care of our community's needs. So you have this huge uh, problem with the COVID-19 situation and, and plus all the other problems together. Uh, are you satisfied with the COVID-19 vaccination and distribution program in your district? Um, there seems to be some inconsistency in who qualifies for vaccinations. Um, we've heard stories about the vaccinations becoming available on a first come basis because somehow there was some extra doses that were available. Um, I've checked out a story of someone actually got a vaccination who, who really wasn't qualified. Yeah, I, you know, in any large enterprise, there's going to be uh, some challenges. That said, uh, I think I share many people's frustration with the lack of a consistent, coherent message about when and who in terms of vaccination. Now, I want to be clear it's really hard to have a comprehensive plan when every time you go out to the public and say, this is our plan, you find out that the delivery schedule from the federal government's not what was promised. On the other hand, uh, Marion and Polk County actually have done reasonably well in terms of vaccinations compared to other counties. I think everybody involved is trying to do their level best. I would be, uh, I guess I would encourage folks to maybe measure a couple more times, two or three times before you cut. What I mean by that is make sure you've thought through the eaches of every particular policy implementation before you announce it to the public so that you don't have changes in policy within eight to 24 hours that confuse uh, the public and, quite frankly, uh, weaken public trust. We have a challenge enough to be able to vaccinate folks and to get people to want to be vaccinated and I think uh, slower, more methodical communication strategies might actually be beneficial. 
If you're just joining us, this is the Polk County Report on KMZ Community Radio. I'm Michael Rose. Our guest today is State Representative Paul Evans. Uh, job losses related to the pandemic have families struggling to pay for necessities. In last year's emergency session, the legislature extended a ban on evicting renters until June. Do you think a proposal to extend the ban on evicting renters will be discussed in the uh, 2021 session, or are there some other proposals to help keep people in their homes? Well, I, I absolutely believe that it will be and that it should be, and I suspect that the federal government, if the president is able to put forward a relief package, will be dealing with it as well. The challenge, of course, is that uh, stability for renters is one critical piece, but it's really uh, a multiple-legged uh, problem. You can't go very long before the folks who are the smaller and medium-sized property owners, property managers, before they are also affected in terms of their ability to pay their mortgages on, on facilities if rent isn't coming in. So I think that that is certainly something we must deal with, and I'm sensitive to the fact that people first have to have stability and where they're going to live. We also have to recognize that we have a huge issue in terms of subsidizing and supporting small businesses that, quite frankly, have tried to weather not one but two roller coasters in terms of covid and opening, reopening protocols. And my great concern is that, you know, Oregon, 75 to 80% of the businesses in Oregon going into COVID were small business owned. I don't know how many tens of thousands of small businesses aren't going to recover, but if we're not smart and we're not focused, we will have a just a hell of a mess trying to encourage small businesses and trying to support those who, quite frankly, play a significant role in every community across the state. So housing is one piece, but we certainly also have to look at the economic engines to make sure that working families have a fighting chance and that small businesses have an opportunity to bring those working families back to work. Well, this moves nicely into my next question. Uh, The governor's emergency orders to prevent the spread of COVID-19 have been very divisive. Uh, The Oregon State Chamber of Commerce has called for the immediate reopening of all uh, Oregon businesses. Uh, the Polk County Board of Commissioners has, has gone on record to support this plan. They even issued a, a news release about it. Do you think Oregon could safely move any faster in reopening uh, its economy? Is there any practical way to expedite this process? Well, unfortunately, I think we're repeating a mistake that we made earlier in the contagion. Um, I was among one of the folks who was pretty well disparaged in the press because I was suggesting that we needed to remain, quote-unquote, closed or at least uh, uh, marginally closed for a longer period of time because I wasn't convinced before the summer happened that we'd gotten it down to a small enough manageable uh, infection. And truth in advertising, over the summer, people went and had a good time, and in many cases probably were doing things that were likely less contagious, but As we came back from summer and then, of course, in the holidays, we've had to open and close and open and close. And my concern with that is large companies generally have enough capacity to be able to either use price to affect it or enough reserves to be able to weather those storms. Smaller businesses don't have that capacity. So I've not been terribly comfortable with the policies in place. I I wished we would have held on another two or three weeks earlier certainly understand the concerns and the frustrations, but I think had we done it the right way the first time, we might not be dealing with the same scale and scope we have right now. However, we are where we are, 
And at this point, I don't know of any way that can get us faster. I think there's some ways that can get us there dumber, but I don't know that there's any way to get there faster with as much safety. And it's going to be an incremental week-by-week call where common sense and good uh, hygiene practices are going to have to go hand-in-hand or we're going to be, quite frankly, fighting this disease long after everybody's been vaccinated. What about schools? Do you think schools could reopen uh, anyway to make that move a little faster to return to, you know, traditional in-classroom learning? I think I think safe reopening of schools and a return to quote-unquote normalcy is a dependent variable. It's a dependent variable upon the uh, acceleration of vaccine deployment and the uh, comprehensiveness of planning for smaller classes and uh, perhaps a hybrid reopening, where over the course of a week, every student gets some in-school time, but maybe not every day, all the day. Uh, I believe that local governments are working very hard to try to find the right balance with their teachers and staff to try to keep them safe, and at the same time, uh, enough of programming to help uh, the students get back into the cycle of learning. Uh, I don't think there is one cookie-cutter answer. I believe every step we take forward will likely have a half a step backwards. And I think the most important value as we move forward over the next two months anyway is patience, something that we Oregonians aren't always known for. But I think it's something that is critical because we're going to have some relapses. We're going to have some challenges. Uh, But uh, I do think with the, you know, if the Biden administration can accelerate the vaccination capabilities, I think that probably more than anything else will help shape the uh, the glide path of schools getting back to normal. Paul, you're chair of the House Committee on Veterans and Emergency Management. Will your committee review the response to last year's wildfires that swept through the Sandy End Canyon and other parts of Oregon? Yeah, our committee, we share that responsibility. Uh, we have, the way that it's divided up is really in three parts in the House. Uh So House Veterans and Emergency Management, when it comes to fires and the fire marshal's office, we focus on protection of people and protection of things related to people. So uh, structures, communities, those things. Wildfire itself having to do with forests, farmland, natural areas, uh, that is actually under Representative Witt's uh, committee. And then We have a a new committee this time, Wildfire Recovery, where four of our six members from our committee are members of that committee. That's led by Representative Clem. So when it comes to uh, people and risk of property uh, in terms of structures, that's kind of our ballywick when it comes to Department of Forestry and U.S. Forest Practices and Wildland Management. That's pretty much more of natural resources under WIT. And then the third leg, of course, is how we actually, in terms of the scale and scope of the largest historical wildfires in recent memory, the recovery efforts, uh, that falls under Representative Klein. So did we learn any important lessons from last year's wildfires? Do you think we need a new uh, fire response plan? I think we need an, an adjusted fire response plan. I think what we need more more than anything else is we need reform of our emergency management enterprise. It was something our committee has been working on for the last three years. There were some reports by a third-party objective consulting firm that came in and looked at the uh, 
COVID response. We've learned some important lessons and are doing our best to pass legislation to make reforms. We anticipate a similar summary of wildfire impacts to be probably released in May or June. And quite frankly, a lot of the things that most of the people involved in emergency management have known for some time have been, quite frankly, uh, identified by these outside experts. We need a better, uh, a better staffed fire marshal's office with wildland urban interface mapping and education and efforts for defensive space uh, mitigation. We also need an increase in the fire marshal's office of actual structural firefighting crews. The days of us being able to rely upon task forces from other fire agencies through mutual assistance, I think, is over given the accelerating rate of global climate change and, quite frankly, just the sheer load of uh, fuels that are in our forests. So we are looking at some fundamental changes. I think there have been some important lessons learned. ODF is, is also a part of, uh, obviously, those lessons learned. I'm, I'm not as involved in terms of the wildland management aspect, although I am certainly trying to, from the veterans' perspective, work on new apprenticeship programs for GI Bill recipients that are in the natural resources areas to try to give more capacity uh, for mitigation efforts as well as wildfire suppression efforts. So it's a it's an exciting time for our committee. It's it's a tragic time in terms of the loss of, of life and, and property, but if we do this right, hopefully we will be far more better prepared in the future and far more resilient toward contagions that have a higher mortality rate and natural disaster catastrophes um, if we integrate and implement the lessons that we have learned over these last few years. Well, if we can shift gears a little bit here, um, we, have, we saw a lot of civil unrest last year. Um, you know, protesters have always been drawn to the state capitol, but, you know, recently some of these demonstrations haven't been peaceful. We've had civil unrest at the capitol that has spilled into Salem's downtown and into neighborhood parks. Can the state do anything to help Salem residents deal with this problem? Well, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that I think that the state legislature can do a number of things, some of which through policy and some of which, quite frankly, through leading by example. Uh, so let's start with the policy first. I happen to believe that one factor, not the only factor, maybe not even the biggest factor, but one factor that has led to the uh, ossified nature of our political uh, environment where people are in, in seemingly intractable positions is that most people don't understand how their government actually works and people have been fed a bunch of lies or they have not taken the time to actually learn for themselves the, the mechanics of self-governance. My civics bill, House Bill 2299, is not going to solve everything, but it will in fact require people before they get their diploma to at least have a general understanding of how local government works. Now, why is that important? That's important because when people are promised things and then those promises don't realize and you're promised enough and you feel lied to enough, trust in government goes down. It is a self-looking ice cream cone. We have to make sure that government is responsive, that people understand what government is and what it isn't. And we as legislators need to recognize just because we can do something doesn't mean ethically we should do something. It means that legislators need to have a little higher standard, I think, 
than perhaps some have been demonstrating recently when it comes to political conflict. I think that we can ensure that uh, in terms of security, we increase support for uh, law enforcement at the same time that we look for remedies for uh, assisting those who have mental health or other types of challenges. I also believe, quite frankly, that engagement is critical. As a legislator, I think that that's important. I don't just talk to folks who agree with me. Uh, in fact, I work hard to talk to everybody, knowing that many won't agree with me. And I believe that's also leading by example. You show people that you can be respectful, that you can disagree without thinking that they are the uh, uh, Satan incarnate, uh, and try to tone down and bring the temperature down so that people can once again reasonably disagree. Now, unfortunately, our efforts to try and make uh, the, the governance more civilized or at least more peaceful are not a shared objective. There are some people currently in the state of Oregon and across this country, many of which having to do with groups that have long been associated with white supremacy or other anti-establishment hate-based ideologies. Uh, they seem to be thinking that this is their moment in the sun, and like snakes, they're crawling out on the rock. I happen to believe that there is a very clear line, a bold line, between peaceful protests and actions that are in support of insurgency. So I, uh, well, I have great respect for folks that are making the hard choices every day. I happen to believe that uh, when people violate uh, the, the public trust by turning a otherwise peaceful event into a circus act and use violence as coercion, they should be treated for what they are, enemies of the state. Uh, but uh, we uh, have to work our way through and navigate this time responsibly. There's no easy answers, but I do know at some point we are as a community going to have to redefine what is and what is not acceptable and tolerable in a peaceful society. So Michigan has banned the open carry of guns in its state capital uh, because of some of these demonstrations that have turned violent. Has there been any discussion or proposed legislation to do the same thing in Oregon? I'm sure there has been, uh, but quite frankly, anytime people want to talk gun politics in Oregon, the first question I have is, how? Uh, and here's what I mean by that. Oregon is constitutionally an open carry state. Unless and until that changes, very little can actually be uh, implemented in an effective way anyway uh, toward uh, determining when and where folks can have firearms. Uh, while I understand that uh, there's a lot of desire, uh, and certainly I don't understand why some people want to brandish AK-47s, etc., the fact of the matter is we must deal with the reality we have with the laws we have. If there is a movement to change the Constitution on this, I'm not aware of it. I do know that there are some aspirational bills that would likely fail in court that people are considering, but I don't know if they've been uh, drafted into and offered as legislation yet or if they're still legislative concepts. What I happen to believe is, as important as it is for earnest discussions about gun ownership, gun responsibility, gun availability. The underlying nature of conflict 
really has to be addressed. And, and my concern is when, focus, when people focus too much on the firearm uh, as, as the, the vehicle instead of the underlying discontent, spirit, and force of will, uh, that's the bigger story. We have to figure out how to communicate with folks who, for whatever reason, have become immune to the, the language of compromise and coordination and collaboration. This is especially challenging for those of us who happen to be people of faith. My faith tells me love is the most powerful force there is, that love doesn't mean necessarily always uh, excusing, but it does mean always loving, and it does mean always trying to find the, the, the way in which people can develop relationship, repair relationship, and grow relationship. So it is especially troubling for me when some people that perhaps uh, use uh, faith as a political uh, cover uh, advocate for policies that tear us apart rather than bring us together. And I think that's, uh, quite frankly, that whole underpinning of um, an insurgent perspective that delegitimizes our government and delegitimizes institutions and leaders. That's the real challenge for us. I, I don't want to, again, take away from the importance of, of clear and, and bold lines on where people should or shouldn't be carrying a firearm, but I'm more concerned about the people that want to carry a firearm because they believe either they have no other choice because something out there is going to take over them, or worse, they want to bully people into giving up their own uh, idealism by uh, force of a gun. Uh, because of the COVID-19 and social distancing requirements, the, the capitals is closed to the public. Most people are also avoiding in-person meetings. As a legislator, how have you adapted to the situation? Well, it's not easy. I'll tell you, I... Uh, I am not good because of my uh, 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 getting older uh, pains and stuff like that in my leg and back, and I misspent youth in the military. I'm not I'm not good sitting down for 12 hours of teams or uh, 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 Zoom meetings every day. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to increase outreach through electronic means, more types of creative ways to use social network uh, opportunities. Um, virtual town halls and uh, uh, those kinds of things. We also are going to be moving, and we've done it a couple times, and we'll continue to move the uh, the mobile office around so that people, at least in small groups, if they see the office, an old uh, postal van, okay. uh, uh, they can come up and, 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 and engage. I also, quite frankly, uh, while wearing a mask and following good social distance, I try to go to some of the facilities and some of the places that are open around the community just to check in. Uh, I, I believe I'm a better legislator when people have an opportunity uh, to share their concerns. Uh, and uh, the need for open dialogue and the need for me to basically ask questions of people based on the policies that we're trying to navigate is a critical component. And uh, we're, it, it's a challenging environment. We're doing everything we know how. And we're certainly open for new ideas. So it's kind of a whole new dynamic as far as communicating with your constituents. You it just... really is. And I, you know, I don't, I don't want to be wistful. I don't want to be, you know, uh, sad about how much more fun it was in the past. 
certainly there's new emerging technologies and there's some new things we've learned. But I will tell you, I look forward to when we determine new normalcy and have an opportunity to be, at least be in the presence of, of, of larger groups of people again. I think it is very difficult to try to read people through a, through a screen. Um, the, the nonverbals and the other kinds of things that people connect with each other uh, uh, through is missing in this environment. And while we will certainly do our best to uphold our duty and do the job the best we can, it is very challenging, to say the least, uh, in this current environment. This is KMEZ Community Radio's Polk County Report. Today we're talking with State Representative Paul Evans. A podcast of this interview will be available on the KMEZ.org website in several days. Uh, Paul, we have a new president. What will this mean uh, for Oregon? Well, you know, I've uh, I actually been a fan of, of, of Biden for a long time. Uh, I, I know that some people may not think he is liberal enough, um, but for a fellow his age and his background, uh, I've always been impressed with his ability to learn, to adjust, and that his heart is pure. He is a person who I think lives this faith and is about as human and transparent, sometimes uh, uh, to the detriment of his messaging. But nonetheless, I think he's as human and transparent as there is. And I think, quite frankly, in this case, having a president who is human will probably be more important than any policy he's able to pass forward. That said, I think that he will have a very uh, effective approach to COVID vaccination and our economic recovery to COVID-19. I think he is uh, focused very much on our needs as a global uh, leader to re-engage on climate change. I think he understands uh, our near-peer challenges in terms of defense, with China, Russia, and other emerging powers. And I think he actually, quite frankly, will, uh, with General Austin, now Secretary Austin in position, I think there's going to be some good coordination between our foreign policy and our military policy, soft power that we haven't had for the last four years. And ultimately, I think with the Democrats, even though they're marginally in charge in the Senate, they're still in charge. And what I'm hoping for in Oregon is with Congressman DeFazio at the helm of the Transportation Committee in the House, I'm hoping for a massive infrastructure package that actually puts people back to work. So I, uh, I am, I'm hopeful about the administration. I certainly have no illusions about how easy it's going to be. I, I, I don't believe that uh, the Senate Minority Leader and the House Minority Leader are going to be doing Mr. Biden any favors. But I do think that Mr. Biden uh, and uh, uh, Vice President Harris and the entire team recognize that if we don't deliver now, there may not be opportunities in the future for a unified governance approach to refill the reservoir of trust. It is so low now in terms of public expectations that if we aren't able to rekindle even a little bit of the spark of why self-governance matters, we may someday uh, actually give in to our darker angels. And I hope and pray that does not take place. I'm going to do anything I can to make sure Oregon is a good partner to the Biden administration on making sure that people have guaranteed opportunity, a safe environment, that they have protection of their basic rights, that they have opportunities to produce in the present, but also promote a future that is healthy and sustainable. I think this is our moment in um, History, you know, 
America is one of those countries that we often uh, drift, and generally we find our our footing and actually surprise people and 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 do the the great big wonderful things not when we're in a good place, but generally when we've actually uh, fallen into a bad place and have to crawl ourselves out. So I'm hoping that that is in fact the story here. I'm hoping that people recognize that we have more in common than we have apart, and that to be an American is an aspirational claim. It is a claim that we are supposed to be worthy of a country of self-governance, that we are supposed to be worthy of a light that others want to imitate. And uh, I don't know about others, but I'm looking forward to doing everything I can over the next several years to live up to that duty. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, Paul. Is there anything you'd like to add or emphasize? Yeah, just briefly, I, uh, you know, our office has, I don't know, hundred and some odd bills that we're working on. Uh, my priority this time is definitely emergency management uh, and civics. But anybody, anytime who wants uh, more information, anybody, anytime who needs assistance to the bureaucracy, uh, this is my fourth term. I, I, I hope I'm learning how to be a better legislator, and I want to make sure people know that whatever, whatever way people voted, whatever party you claim is irrelevant to me. What's relevant to me is we are uh, together in this in common cause, and we have to come out the other side stronger and better. And that means everybody operating on full cylinders. So I just hope that people know if you have a challenge or have a question, contact me. If we can't help, we'll try to find you somebody who can. And finally, just that uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to have this position at this moment in history so that we can hopefully uh, at least uh, begin the process of recovering what was so special and what can be so special about our America. So what's the easiest way for uh, someone to reach you? Could you provide us with an email? Sure. My email is rep.com. Paul Evans at OregonLegislature.gov, or if you go to the legislative webpage, you can find me under uh, representatives, or you can call 503-986-1420, and that's our phone number, uh, and we'll try to try to connect with the old school ways. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you for the opportunity, and thanks very much. If I could, just a real quick plug for KMUZ. Community radio is where it's at. So thanks for all the volunteers that uh, make that possible, and thanks for being a credible news source. Appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thanks again.